Hey, glad to have you uh, in the house of God uh, with us today. Hey, just as uh, another reminder, today is the last Sunday of three services here at The Pursuit. Next week we move to four, and those service times again are going to be 830, 945, 11, uh, and 1215. And so uh, we want you to join us, and number two, we want you to invite a friend. And so would you continue to help us build the house of God here in the Northwest? We're responding to just the growth and the favor that God has put on this community. It is completely to his credit, not to ours. You hear me say this all the time. But the proof that God is doing something in Snohomish is just proof that God has a sense of humor and uh, that God has, I think, a special place in his heart for small cities. Uh, the Christ child was born in Bethlehem. Uh, scripture says uh, that the disciples talked amongst each other and they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so God is doing something unique and special in this city and more broadly in this region. And uh, in response, we're just going to make room. And when we don't make room, you end up missing out on the miracle or the blessing that God wants to deposit in the house. And so we want to make room for more folks, more families to experience the power and the glory of God. And so help us invite a friend. Go ahead and share that graphic on uh, social media, and we'll be glad to have you uh, joining us uh, for that. I was talking to a lady here in the community uh, a few weeks ago. I invite about everybody to church. What I found is it takes about six or seven times of me inviting people to church and talking to them about Jesus prior to them responding. And actually, they've done statistical research on evangelism in the West, and they found that it takes between seven and nine introductions to the gospel prior to somebody making a confession of faith. <clears throat> so this is why I always encourage people. Scripture says one man plants, <clears throat> another man waters, but God brings the increase. And you never know where you're at on somebody's journey. You might be the fourth person that they say no to. You might be the sixth person that they say no to, or you might have the privilege of being that seventh person who uh, introduces them to Jesus and they respond with a confession of faith. And so we just encourage people here in this community to do their part. And I was talking to a, a, a lady and, and, and she doesn't come to the church yet, uh, but she told me, she said, I avoid that entire area on Sundays. <laughs> and I said, why? She said, it is slammed. Cars lined up, parked everywhere, no room to go, no room to drive. I said, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're lining up to get their seventh booster at Rite Aid or what's, I don't know. I just. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I said, oh, we're having church. You know, it's so funny that people who are not in church are not really a part of a presence-driven or spirit-filled community, their cultural idea of what church is is so radically different than what we do here. They're like, church is like we go up and we're dressed up and we sit there and it's really boring and you try not to fall asleep and you stand up and you sit down and it's boring music and dead preaching and dead pastors speaking to dead people. And that, of course, has been the problem in the West, right? The greatest threat is not the outside. It's dead pastors giving dead sermons to dead people. And so that's their kind of cultural picture of church. And then they show up here and they're like, what is this? Is this a dance party? Is it a rave? Is it a revival service? And I'm like, yes, it's all of those things wrapped inside the context of the local church. But we're so appreciative every day of what God is doing here. And, and, and I'm always, I always try to remain mindful that it is not uh, to our credit, uh, but to his. We didn't show up with some genius idea. And then God said, finally, people who are smart enough to make this work. <laughs> I think we showed up with some hunger and some faith 
And uh, we have pointed ourselves in the direction of Zion, and I refuse to be moved. <clears throat> and that's my prayer in this season, that God would make our face as flint, and that we would stare in the direction of Zion and refuse to be moved. And so I'm praying for a spiritual stubbornness <clears throat> in your own life in a good way, that you would be pointed in the direction of what God is doing, not in what he's not doing. So many people build theologies around what God is not doing. Every time they talk about healing, they talk about the seven times they weren't healed. When you build a theology around what God is not doing, what you'll find is everywhere you look, you see God not doing things. But when you build a theology that celebrates what God is doing, pretty soon it pops up everywhere in your life because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So every week we gather, we prophesy into this region. God is still working. He's still the miracle-working God. He's still in the business of healing and saving and delivering. We are, we are a prophetic seed planted in Babylon soil. And one man plants and another man waters, but it's God who brings the increase. Uh, this morning, I'm going to share on, on the topic of, of uh, giving thanks. And if you've been uh, at service uh, at all the last number of weeks, I, I just, I've kind of been on a little bit more of an aggressive kick, and so I'm going to try to downshift a little bit, because I want you all to come back, and so uh, I've heard the cries of the people, so I'm going to be nice today, and uh, hope that you'll be encouraged. 43 times in the scriptures, the word give thanks is mentioned. The phrase, give thanks, 43 times. Not a suggestion. Not an observation, not an idea, but instead a command. Give thanks. <clears throat> Why? Because although thankfulness might not change my circumstance, it will definitely change me. And that, my friends, is the point of the gospel. Anytime anything is repeated in scripture, it's like the Holy Spirit is taking a highlighter and underlining a text and wanting you to pay attention. Let me help you understand scripture this morning. The Bible is living, but it's not growing. Meaning this, every time you turn on the news, which you just shouldn't do at this point, I don't know about you, but I have opted out of the fear economy. I'm not participating. Some people so worship at the altar of fear that they actually celebrate when things go wrong. Well, all I got for Christmas is another variant, not me. I opted out. I filed a religious exemption against all the new variants. I've opted out of the fear economy. Every time you turn on the news, they just tell you what you ought to be outraged about today. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not participating. I'm not participating in that kingdom because my allegiance is not to those values. It's just not. So I've opted out. But some people, they, they allow their entire emotional life to ride the roller coaster of the 24-7 news circuit. And they're either outraged, offended, upset, or scared to death. And frankly, that's just exhausting. Every time you turn on the news, about every three or six months, especially around Christmas, because they love to profane the holy days, but they always talk about these new books being found, like the new books of the Bible. And they were always written like 300 years ago by Buddhists. And I'm like, that's not how it works. You don't get to add new books. You don't get to buy a new book of the Bible on Amazon. This is not a Jeff Bezos like pyramid scheme. That, it's, that's not how this works. Well, what about the Gnostic Gospels? Let, can we just get the four Gospels under our belt? Well, what do you think about the book of Enoch? I'm just trying to read the book of John. I'm trying to get these into my spirit. 
I'm not just trying to get into the Word. I'm trying to get the Word into me. I'm trying to be a person of the Word. Now, the Word is living. It is breathing. It is active, but it's not growing. <clears throat> Meaning this, this is precious real estate. In fact, Christ says to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, if you add one word to this book, the plagues of this book will be added to you. And then he says, if you take away one word from this book, your name will be taken out of the Lamb's book of life. So this is precious real estate because it's not growing. There's not any more of it. It just is what it is. So when the Holy Spirit sees fit to repeat something 43 times, it's like God is saying, pay attention. Because out of all of the precious real estate in this book, I found it so important to repeat myself this many times. And here's what I want to do as a public communicator of the gospel. I want to shout where scripture shouts and whisper where it whispers. And I'm telling you, give thanks is one of the places in which scripture shouts. It's interesting to me that America is about the only place where we celebrate gratitude and thankfulness on a Thursday and then trample people to death for a discount on a TV the following day. And if you're upset about celebrating pagan holidays, let me tell you about the most pagan holiday we have in our culture is Black Friday, where the West gathers to worship the God of consumerism. America is the wealthiest nation on earth, and yet one of the most anxious and depressed at the same time. It's almost as if to say the fulfillment you're looking for doesn't come from having more stuff in your house, but instead having Christ in your heart. Friend, you don't need more friends. You need the right friends. You don't need more hobbies. You need the right hobbies. You don't need more investments. You need the right investments. You don't need more opportunities. You need the right opportunities. Just let me give you permission this morning to stop spending money you don't have on things that you don't need to impress people that you don't like. <laughs> you don't need more things. You need the right things in God's perfect timing. Every time at the end of the year, I, I think about the conversation that Jesus has with the teachers of the law who are always trying to trap him when they ask him about paying taxes. And Christ responds, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto Christ's what is his. I believe in paying taxes. I just believe in paying the legal bare minimum. <clears throat> just. And how do I get the right things in my life to open up? By starting to give God thanks for what you've got now. If you're believing God for the right job, start thanking him for the one you got. If you're believing God for the right house, start thanking him for the one you got. If you're believing God for the right spouse, start, no, I'm just kidding. I, was, I got him. I got him on that one. That was, I got some of you. I got some of you on that one. Just, if you're believing God for the right car, start thanking him for the one you got. Some people are so quick to say amen, you know, they just said, thank you, God, for this spouse. Now bring me a new one. I just, that was a test. That was a test. If you're believing God for the right property, the right position, start thanking him for the one you've got now and watch gratitude open a door that no man can close. See, gratitude is a key that opens the door to abundance. Gratitude is a sword that defeats comparison and complaining in your life. Friend, we don't give thanks for all things. We give thanks in all things. And can I tell you, Thanksgiving is actually one of the most important tools in your spiritual warfare tool belt in this season. Because gratitude helps cut out 
the fiery darts of the enemy that try to get you to shift into comparison, which is the thief of joy. Gratitude is a shield that protects you from the fiery darts of the enemy that tries to shift you into grumbling and complaining. And I think for us, when we think about the major issues of sin, we think about all of the cultural perversion and the things that are happening around us, it's really easy to view scripture as a window into the life of somebody else instead of a mirror into the life of ourselves. And can I just remind you that an entire generation of people were kept out of the promised land because of grumbling and complaining against the Lord. Uh, and they committed a lot of other sins, a ton. And they worshiped the golden calf and they led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron and they intermarried with the nations that were around them and they cursed God. They fall, fell into adultery, idolatry, you name it, the Hebrew children did it. But the one thing that God says that he has against them is their grumbling and complaining, which literally shut the door on the promised land. I'm here to tell you that gratitude is a key that opens the door of abundance in your life. It's a decision you make. Now, anybody can give thanks when things are going well, but only believers with a disciplined spirit can give thanks in the midst of the storm. Remember, it is not the water outside of a boat that sinks the boat, it's the water inside of the boat, right? So we have the ability as believers to be in the midst of the storm without having the storm be in the midst of us. I can be a well-differentiated individual in the midst of a culture that has lost its mind, in the midst of a family system that's chronically anxious, in the midst of friendships that are going one way or the other way, I can still be a person who is at peace because I got Christ in my heart. And sometimes I think in faith communities, it's like people feel almost, um, you know, bad or not as Christian or not as faithful if they, if, if they don't like fake this Thanksgiving for all the tough stuff that's going on. No, I don't thank God for sickness. I thank God in sickness, right? I don't thank God for trials. I thank God in trials because I know that he's working something in me and through me, bringing me into what scripture calls perfect maturity. Gratitude is what opens the door. Watch, friend. If you can have gratitude, you can have peace. And if you can have peace, you can have joy. And if you can have joy, you can have hope. And if you can have hope, you can face tomorrow. See, gratitude is a decision I make daily. Why? Because complaining is a temptation that I face daily. And if we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise, what do we enter into when we are clothed with grumbling and complaining? See, gratitude is a key that ushers me into the courts of the king. When I am in the courts of the king, it is the king himself who goes to battle on my behalf. Gratitude is my ability to shift from a natural struggle into a spiritual one by which the leader of angel armies comes to my defense. Gratitude is what allows me to see a mountain uprooted and thrown into the sea. Gratitude is what causes the bitter water to become sweet even in the midst of the wilderness. Gratitude is what disciplines my perspective. Gratitude is what David is leaning into when he says, my soul will bless the Lord. Gratitude is a decision you make. It is not the reaction to a blessing you've got. It is a decision you make in the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because no matter what tomorrow holds, you've met the person who holds your tomorrow, and his name is Jesus. No, it's a decision I'm going to make. It's a decision I'm going to make. I'm going to choose to be grateful. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 
18, the Apostle Paul is writing the church in Thessalonica. We don't have time to delve into all of the cultural underpinnings that kind of help prop up his two letters to this church. But I can tell you this, he writes the church in Thessalonica during a time of absolute, intense, unthinkable persecution. In fact, the Thessalonians are being so persecuted that they actually believe that Christ is going to return within their lifetime. That's their thought process. And a lot of the teaching that we have on the return of Christ comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul tells people, comfort one another with these words. Christ will return. He is coming back soon. Now, whether or not he comes back in your lifetime, I can't say, but have faith in him. So that's the context of 1 Thessalonians 5. These folks are really being persecuted. Not they got my order wrong at Starbucks. Not they said something mean about me on Facebook. I mean, really persecuted. And watch what he tells them in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you came to church to get a word for your life today, it's this. In everything, give thanks. Maybe one question I get more than any other as a pastor is, what's the will of God for my life? What do I do? Where do I go? Do I go left or right? Do I stay in the Northwest or do I move to Texas with everybody else? What do I do? What's the right move for me? And I'm not sure because it's not my job to hear God on your behalf. However, it is my job to encourage you with these words. In everything, give thanks. That's the will of God. Here's the problem. In the West, we have made an idol of vocation. And here's what we miss out on. The gospel has a lot more to do with the type of person you become than in the type of job that you hold. What does it matter if you land the perfect job, but you're still a miserable person? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Why do you think the scripture says things like this? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with excellence under the Lord. It's not that your vocation doesn't matter. It's that your vocation doesn't have permission to dictate the gratitude of your heart. So whatever season I'm in, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom or an engineer, whether I'm a barista or an entrepreneur, whether I'm just getting out of college or just getting into college, in everything, give thanks, because that's the will of God. We have so tied the will of God to vocation and location that we have missed out on the formative work of the Spirit shaping our identity. No, the will of God for your life is to give thanks. Because when you can give thanks when you have a little and when you have a lot, what it testifies to the world around you is that you have been developed by a God who cares more about the inside than he does the out. In everything... Give thanks. Thanks in the Greek translates to a word that is still used in some church environments today. Not so much in our church environment, but if you were to attend maybe an Orthodox church or even a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church, the word that they use to describe Holy Communion is the word Eucharist. And Eucharist is the Greek word for thanksgiving. It was so connected to the idea of Christ breaking his body and spilling his blood on our behalf. It's what Paul encourages the church to do in remembrance of him. What we do here once a month through the sharing of the Lord's Supper in giving thanks, we are coming into agreement with gratitude for all that Christ has done. 
Giving thanks is so important scripturally, it's literally become one of the sacraments of the church globally. No matter what Christian tradition you're a part of, whether you're Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox, all of those faiths and all of those groups practice communion. It's so important, giving thanks. It's part of who we are, part of what we're commanded to do. Friend, let me just ask you a proverbial question this morning. What if thankfulness was the antidote that could change your circumstance, but God can't move you on to the next season until you find contentment in this one? Here's the lie that we believe. Contentment and happiness is waiting for me on the other side of me reaching my goals. I'll be happy when I finally make six figures. No, you won't. I'll be happy when I ha finally have kids. No, you won't. I'll be happy when my kids finally move out. You might, but you probably won't. I'll be happy when I land that dream job. No, you won't. I'll be happy when I can finally retri retire. No, you won't. No, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. And I think for us, we so think about outcomes and goals that that is where we have placed God on our linear lifetime chart. God is waiting for me on the other side of me reaching that goal. And can I tell you that we serve the God of the process more than we serve the God of the goal. That means that God isn't waiting for me on the other side of my development. He's walking with me in the midst of my development because that's where I'm developed most, in those inward places, in those seasons of waiting, in those seasons of wilderness. Why do you think some of the great heroes of the faith all go through seasons of wilderness and seasons of waiting? God doesn't say, I'll develop you when you get there. He says, I'll develop you until you're ready to handle what I have for you. And we serve a God who walks with us in the midst of the process. And so whether or not I've reached my goal, I'm going to be grateful for a God who walks with me in the midst of it. Philippians 4 and 12, the Bible says this. Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret, watch, of being content in any and every situation, whether it's well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in what. Paul says this. I have learned the secret of contentment, meaning this. It isn't something you just naturally are. It's a learned discipline. You have to disciple your way into contentment because it is not the way of the world. And friend, contentment isn't laziness, it's trust. Now, I trust that God has me in the midst of his hand and nothing that I face can ever take me from that. And I have a great trust in the all-sufficiency of, of Christ Jesus. In fact, that word content in the Greek means this, satisfaction and sufficiency that comes from living within God's fullness. Paul says, I've learned the secret of that. Contentment and thankfulness is something that you got to clothe yourself with daily because it's not the way of the world. It's not the spirit of the age. It's not the value of culture. It's the value of the kingdom. And the kingdom is countercultural, not subcultural to the spirit of the age. It is abrasive. It is swimming upstream. And Paul, who spends half of his adult life writing letters from Roman prisons, eventually has his head cut off by a demonic emperor named Nero, is writing a church in Philippi in a city that tried to kill him, but somehow he survived, and he gives them this apostolic truth. I have learned the secret of being content. Wow, it's something that you hold that is of such value to you. 
that it keeps you sane in the midst of your process. When I say content, I don't mean that you don't contend for things. I don't mean that you don't hold on to things. I don't mean that you don't pursue things with everything that's inside of you. But what your spirit is developed into is a discipline of attitude that says, even when life doesn't work out the way that I wanted it to, I'm not going to allow it to shift me into a place of poverty or need. For even David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I'm going to be a person who receives satisfaction and sufficiency from living within the fullness of God. Hear me. Fullness is not just what we receive from. It's where we live. You live within the fullness of God. You live within the canopy of God's blessing. So much of the way that we understand God is through a transactional lens. I approach God. He gives me what I need for that day. I go and use what I have for that day. And then I drag my sorry butt back to church to get something else from the cosmic vending machine. And that's not how any of this works. You live within the canopy of God's blessing, which means everywhere you walk, he walks, which means everywhere you go, he's already been, which means like Paul said, my God will supply everything I'm in need of according to his riches and glory. There has never been a time where his faithfulness hasn't rested on you like a shadow. I'm not just receiving from the vending machine in heaven. I am walking under an open heaven of God's blessing. Contentment isn't laziness, it's trust. I trust that God's got this. Hear me, friend, gratitude doesn't wait for a goal to be reached in order for thanksgiving to be offered. A grateful person knows that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but instead where you water it. When the Hebrew children were dying of thirst in the wilderness, God told Moses, Exodus 17 and Exodus 20, speak to this rock and water will flow from it. Hear me, mountains aren't removed because you complain about them on social media. They are removed because you speak to them. What if the key to transforming your circumstance came from your ability to bless things that look like boulders? What if the key to transforming your circumstance came from your ability to have gratitude in places of hopelessness, thankfulness in places of drought, or trust in places of wilderness? I would dare to believe for you this morning that the miracle is in your mouth. For when you give thanks, it releases a word that cannot return void. For the power of both life and death is in your tongue. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 12. Watch. By your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. So I've got to make a decision that instead of telling God how big my problems are, I'm going to tell problems how big God is. I'm going to make a decision to magnify the Lord and in doing so multiply his benefit in and through my life. And I'm going to operate in gratitude. I really believe that gratitude is one of the keys to the kingdom. It's one of the keys to to, to the kingdom. Uh, For me, I think when when I engage in spiritual warfare, it's like, like if I'm not sweating, I'm not praying hard enough, you know? And and just my personality is like, I want to cast out every devil. I want to kick culture in the teeth. I want to take ground. And there's a time and a place for that. And it's, you know, about 98% of my my life. But what I'm learning is that there's this other side as well, where you can get into a place of spiritual warfare and you just start giving God thanks. And it literally disarms principalities and powers around you. It literally disempowers demonic entities around you because you start giving thanks. 
it's Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. They're there and they got beat up and they're just trying to plant a church and poor me and God, I'm just trying to serve you and this is what I get in response. No, at midnight, they begin to sing and give thanks. And what happened? The God of angel army shows up to their defense. All of a sudden, prison doors start to open. All of a sudden, the Philippian jailer and his whole household is saved. All of a sudden, Lydia plants a church. All of a sudden, a church in Philippi begins to grow. All of a sudden, a region is transformed. A city is saved. A family is saved. A jail system is totally disempowered. Bondages begin to break. Why? Because two people decided to give thanks when they had every right to complain. And when you give thanks... It is a bondage-breaking, prison-door-opening song that comes from your life. I'm just going to give thanks. Am I where I want to be? No. But am I going to give God thanks that I'm not where I used to be? Yes. Do I have everything in fullness? Not yet. But do I have some of it? Yeah. So I'm going to give thanks. And I'm going to thanks and honor my way into increase. Give Him thanks. I was praying in here the other day, and we've been contending and praying and believing God for a new building and a, and a bigger property, just in response to the stuff that God is doing. I've been asking God, God, give us a bigger wineskin and more wine. And uh, we've been looking and trying to find something and, and just turning over every rock imaginable to see what God would have for us. And in the midst of me kind of airing my grievances to the Lord... The Lord just said, well, could you give thanks that you have a building when so many other people don't? And I'm like, well, thanks for making me feel bad during prayer time, Lord. I mean, <laughs> but what I found is when you start to give thanks for what you have, all of a sudden it builds you up in your spirit, man. All of a sudden you feel like I am more than an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I am not a victim of my circumstance. I am not a victim of culture's narrative. No, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Is everything perfect? No, but I've met the one who is. God is doing something new in my life. Good things are going to happen. Good, good thing, good. My best days are not behind me but ahead of me. All of a sudden you start to give thanks. And what happened? It changes the attitude of the atmosphere. Gratitude is a spiritual sword in the life of a believer. And it vanquishes the things that try to steal your hope and your joy and your peace. Now, watch what, watch what, watch what happens here. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, the Apostle Paul is writing the church in Corinth. I'm struck by the things that the Apostle Paul spends his time writing on because his life is so difficult in the later part post-conversion. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, most of the time I read out of the New King James or, or, uh, or, 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 or the NIV. Um, but every once in a while, you got to go back to the King James. The King James, sometimes it just says things in a way. And it just, it's like extra anointed in the King James every once in a while. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. I want you to think about a God like that in your life. He causes you to triumph. That means that when you get into his presence, there is something so contagious about his character. There is something so real about his spirit that it forcefully shifts you into triumph in every area of your life. 
That's why all of hell wages war against Christian community. Because when you get in the house of God, saturated in the presence of God, around the people of God, it shifts you into victory in your life. No, you don't have victory alone. You have victory together. It causeth us to triumph. That phrase, causeth to triumph, translates to a Greek word meaning this, being led as a prisoner in a triumphal procession by a victorious king. In those days, when an invading king and an invading army would take over an ancient city, they would take all the fighting men captive and they would parade them through town and they would be seen as captives or prisoners of the new king who had ultimate authority and sovereignty over that area. And Paul uses this militaristic term to help capture this idea for what it looks like to follow Jesus. When you confessed faith in Christ, he violently transferred you out of darkness into light, and he led you in a triumphal procession through every area of bondage that used to bind you, through every word that used to define you, and he said, no, now this one belongs to me. This one belongs to me. Their journey belongs to me. Their process belongs to me. He causes you to triumph. That's how I see Jesus in the Northwest. It's like he's walking and behind him we're following. And he's saying these folks who used to be in darkness, who used to be in bondage, who used to be in addiction, who used to be in dysfunction, they're on my team now. And I've got ultimate authority and ultimate sovereignty over this region. He causes you to triumph. That's the reality of the God that we serve. If I could retranslate that verse in our context, it would sound like this. I have been captivated by a God who always causes me to triumph in every circumstance of life to such a degree that I manifest the fragrance of his goodness wherever I go. And for that reason, I always give thanks to God. Think about a God who causes you to triumph, steps into your story, and by force picks you up and places you in his family. Friend, what you need can't be delivered until you give thanks for what you've got. In Matthew 14, Jesus feeding the 5,000, the scriptures tell us this, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke it. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples in turn gave them to the people and they all ate and they were all satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. I want you to see something, friend. The miracle of multiplication took place after the discipline of giving thanks was demonstrated. I think this is actually connected to revival as well. What we give God thanks for in our lifetime, as we hand it off to the next generation, it will be multiplied in their midst. What's the difference between a poverty life and an abundant life? Thankfulness. What's the difference between a bitter heart and a blessed heart? Thankfulness. What's the difference between a victim and an overcomer? Thankfulness. Watch what Paul says of Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, and gave thanks. Hear me. 
you need to sandwich your brokenness in between the bookends of thankfulness. Else you will allow what has been done to you to become the exact thing you do to others. Unhealed people hurt people. Unforgiven people can't forgive people. Broken people break people. But when I come into wholeness, I manifest the fragrance of his goodness. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks. And if in the midst of his betrayal, he can give thanks, so can you. He didn't give thanks for the betrayal. He gave thanks in the midst of the betrayal. And if you've lived long enough, you've experienced the pain of betrayal. But the most dangerous thing about betrayal is not what's done to you. It's what you will become if you harbor unforgiveness and complaining in your heart. And when I come into gratitude, I break agreement with what others have tried to do to me. Don't you see this, friend? This is such a key for you coming out of the lies of what others have done to you. This is such a key for you coming out of the false limitations and false ceilings that others have placed on your life. I am not what you have said. I am not what you have done. I am not even what I have done. I am what Christ has done on my behalf. And when I give thanks, I am literally shifting my position out of the natural and into the spiritual. No, I'm giving thanks because of the great things that, that he has done. In Philippians 4 and 6 through 7, Paul writing that same church, he says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Many of us want the peace of God without submitting to the process of God. Before I get a peace that guards me, I need a thanksgiving that guides me. Just let me let you in on a little secret this morning. Complaining about everything or being a critic of everyone else's success isn't a personality trait. You're just letting people know how unhealed from your past wounds you actually are. See, secure people can celebrate other people's success. Secure people don't need everyone else to know about their accomplishments. Secure people can be okay when somebody else is in the limelight because secure people know if I humble myself under the mighty hand of the Lord, He will promote me in due time. In everything, give thanks. Today, you can come out of the insecurity that manifests as grumbling and complaining in your life. Today, you can come out of the negative attitudes and the cynicism that has poisoned the well of your spirit. Today, you can come into an attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude for all that God has done. Hear me, gratitude won't be a pattern in your life until it's a practice in your life. And practice doesn't make perfect, but it does make permanent. You're never going to be a perfect person as it pertains to thanksgiving. You just won't. Because it's not a natural characteristic of the world in which we live. But you can discipline yourself into a permanent pattern. 
and by doing so, maintain the spiritual temperature of your own life. Let me end here. We just celebrated this week, Thanksgiving, and in the midst of a whole lot of other things that are complicated in, in the world around us. I don't know how many of you grew up in a house like this, but I imagine some of you did at Thanksgiving. Everybody had to go around the table and say one thing that they were thankful for. And so you're just trying to think through, uh, family, kind of, my dog, maybe, I just, you know, you're just trying to, trying to pull stuff together, and it's weird, and it's awkward, and you just want to eat. <laughs> but everybody's got to go around the table and say something that they're thankful for. And what happens is every time that you engage in that patternistic behavior, what you find is that it changes the attitude or the atmosphere of your house. You shift into gratitude. And I want to challenge you today with this thought that if you will shift your life into gratitude, it will change the atmosphere that you walk under. And in doing so, it will transform your life. Come on, would you stand as we close? I want to pray for you and encourage you in the Lord. Let's go be a thankful people. Paul said, I've had a little and I've had a lot. Paul said, I've had lack and I've had plenty. Paul said, I had riches and, and I had poverty. But I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. And together as a community, we're going to end 2021 and we're going to begin 2022 with having an opposite spirit of the world around us. We're going to be a people who are grateful in the midst of chaos. As we close today, I want to engage you in a spiritual exercise. I want to practice gratitude. What I found with gratitude is it's always one or two things that take a while to come to your mind, but pretty soon, once it starts flowing, you can't stop. All of a sudden, you just find everything to be grateful for. You're grateful even for that leaky roof you have on your house because at least it means you have a house. And all of a sudden, you're thankful for that car that seems to break down every month just because you have a car. And all of a sudden, it begins like a flood to come out of you. And without you even knowing, it begins to change everything around you. Come on, just as an act of faith, would you raise your hands all across this room? In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want you with your own mouth, because the miracle is in your mouth. I want you with your own mouth to begin to speak and declare Gratitude. What are you grateful for? I know there's a lot of problems. I know there's a lot of challenges. I know there's a lot of opportunities, but could you find something to be grateful for this morning? Could you find something to be grateful for in your spirit, in your heart? Are you grateful for salvation? Are you grateful for forgiveness? Are you grateful for mercy? Are you grateful for good friends that you don't deserve? Are you grateful for family who cares about you? Are you grateful for a warm meal, a roof over your head? Let's practice some gratitude this morning. When I count to three, I'm going to begin to thank God in my own way, and I want you to begin to thank God in your own way, and let us fill this temple with the testimony of gratitude, and watch what God will do. Here we go one, here we go two, here we go three. God, we just thank you. We just thank you today. Come on, friend. My soul will bless the Lord. My spirit will bless the Lord. We're going to return thanks. We're going to return gratitude. God, we're thankful today. We thank you for the blessing of community, for the blessing of family and friends. God, we thank you that your mercy is new every morning, that you desire mercy instead of judgment, that we have more than enough grace to make it. We thank you for the times you've healed our bodies and resourced our lives. God, we refuse today to live a life of complaining and grumbling. God, we are in gratitude. We are in awe of how good you've been to 
just here to say thank you today. We're just here to say thank you today for how good you've been. For how good you've been. Father, we love you. God, we honor you. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. You have been better than we deserve. And God, we're just here to say thank you in gratitude. Come on, friend. Remember like the leper that came back to give thanks? And what does the Bible say? He was made whole. And God, in our gratitude, we thank you that now wholeness comes to our lives and our bodies. We declare these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, all God's people said amen.